0: Ladies and gents, welcome back to the Pop Culture Podcast, Tyson Popplestone here, and today I'm so excited to introduce you to a man by the name of Travis Bell, who's more affectionately known as the Bucket List Guy. Now if you don't know Trav, he's an Australian entrepreneur, author, and speaker who's widely recognized for his work in the field of personal development and goal setting. He earned the nickname the Bucket List Guy because of his passion for encouraging people to create and pursue their own bucket list. If you don't know what it is, it's a list of things you want to get done before you die. More than that, his background is in the gym world. He was originally a personal trainer who realized that there was probably a little more money in not just personal training, but actually owning the business, franchising it and building it up. And that's exactly what he did. It's a crazy story. The amount that he built, the success that he had in this world was mind blowing. But after a a fair battle with depression, after a number of things fell apart in his life, he took some time to re-navigate, refocus and figure out where it was he wanted to put his attention. So I won't go too far into it because we cover quite a lot of that today in the show. But man, he's a great guy to talk to. He's an inspiring guy. He's an honest guy. He's a real Aussie guy. I love the way this guy speaks. Uh, Motivating, inspiring, a real breath of fresh air. So I really hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. Welcome to the show for the very first time, the Bucket List guy, Mr. Travis Bell. So what are you gonna tell us tough guys? My usual, zero, nothing. I was, uh, I was thinking the other day, I was telling my wife when I got home from the cafe how nice it is from time to time to bump, bump into a bloke that you just feel like you're a little uh, aligned with, whether it's in vision or with ethos or whatever it is. But I saw you yeah. about a week ago sitting at the Ocean Grove Cafe. It's a new one to me, so I can't remember its name.
1: Uh, Rocket Man.
0: Rocket Man. Oh, yeah. I walked into Rocket Man. And the first week I saw you sitting there, I thought, gee, this bloke looks familiar. Like I know him from somewhere. And I walked in mm, the mm. other week and I said, I was probably just a good looking bloke I've seen strutting along the beach or seen at a cafe, oh, living gosh. local or whatever it was. <laughs> Who but, is uh, his best? <laughs> having a chat to you afterwards and finding out about what you do, I thought, okay, it's about 15 seconds after talking to you. I thought he's surely going to get an invite onto the podcast because it's such an interesting story. It's a wild story, man. I was I was so fascinated by so many elements of, how things have sort of been put together to get to a point of where they are for you now with the bucket list. But we were laughing the other day because you were telling me about your origin or, or, or like your involvement in the world of gyms before you were doing anything like what you were doing now and how much Hormozy taken over the gym world and just made that like the the investor's dream at the moment. It seems that every man aged between 25 and 30 now owns a gym or is at least aspiring to. <laughs> yeah. How's – um. Yeah. I thought as a way of introduction, man, you'd be better off doing it than I would. Like, okay, give us a little bit of an overview of, of of sort of that part of your life and the transition into what you're doing now, because it's such a unique field that you found yourself in.
1: Yeah, I guess the backstory. You know, I'm I'm here in Ocean Grove, and you're not too far away, and we probably could de- do this live, but we're not. It's all good. Um, I'm in uh, Ocean, born and bred in Ocean Grove, so grew up grew up here as a you know. Competitive surfer, surf lifesaver, swimmer, um, joined the Surf Lifesaving Club, pretty much a jock through my whole life. You know, I think that's what they call them in America. So I did a, uh, that led me to do a phys ed degree uh, at Victoria University, third year uni. This bloke came in, he was doing this thing in the early 90s called personal fitness training. And he was Daryl Summers' personal trainer off uh, Hey, Hey, It's Saturday. And I thought, (laughs) oh, that's rockstar. Um, he told me how much he got paid, and he was training a lot of celebrities and this sort of thing up in Turak. And me, a country boy, um, up in the big smoke, he was doing this thing called personal training and this pre internet. and He said, uh, I just followed him around, and I had all these questions. And I thought, This is this is interesting. It was the first time I really got any idea about what I was going to do because I thought I was going to be a kid's, you know, high school phys ed teacher or something like that. Um, so he said, you know, subscribe to this magazine, go to this conference, get this book, and I just did everything he said. I was his, you know, I helped it. Oh, I helped him out and uh, did a bit of a work experience with him and I got my first personal training client at Gray Swim Centre um, back in the day and uh, I got paid a whole $25 an hour and uh, things are a little bit different these days. And, <laughs> yeah, man, look, I started with one client. And just, you know, I was making more money out of personal training than anyone I knew in my industry by the end of university, Um, really didn't care about uni at the end. And uh, just that helped me, you know, my first client, Heather, she referred everyone in the English speaking language and then some to my business. My record was 63 one hour mobile personal training sessions in a week around Melbourne. So I did that literally for about three years then hired my first person. Um, I was running boot camps before there was such a thing and you know, doing all these things around the botanical gardens and all over Melbourne really. And I had a, full, I had a I'd deal with four gyms around Melbourne where I could take you know, a member or non-member and just rock up, pay them five bucks, 10 bucks or whatever per session and just train them. Um, even before Fitness First came on the scene and I, uh, yeah, but I was flat out. I was doing everything with them. I was rung up and down the stairs. I was doing the boxing. I was doing the laps of the tan, you know, the the whole bit with them, and I was fit as, but and I was getting paid a lot of cash too. And I say to my younger personal training mentor, you know, mentees, uh, don't do what I did, put it into property, which I should have. But no, I it's this thing called Melbourne Nightlife that kind of took over. I invested a lot of money into that and... Um, <laughs> So uh, that didn't last too long, but um, the no, I, I started with Heather. She, you know, I, I grew formed the first one of the first personal training studios there in Richmond, just down near where Channel Nine used to be on Swan Street in Richmond. Had thirteen personal trainers working for me there, um, and we are running all sorts of corporate programs, and triathlon club, and boot camps, and all the even TAC rehab stuff. Um and yeah, one of my employees said, "Oh, Trevor, you know, I want to, I want to build a studio as well." And I said, "All right, cool." And someone around that time said, "Oh, you can't," because I read one of my first books that I ever read was uh, called "The E Myth" by Michael Gerber. It was all about systemization, the McDonaldized McDonald's. Uh, uh, McDonaldization, if you can call it that, of business, you know, setting up systems that survive, with, that, that survive without you. And uh, it ruined me for life. And, you know, I thought about franchising personal training. And I mentioned it to a mate and he said, oh, you can't franchise personal training because it's personal. And uh, that was all I needed. So about a year later, I franchised personal training studios and we uh, built a chain of personal training studios around Australia and all in three states anyway, and uh, over 300 personal trainers and 2 million personal training appointments. Tens of thousands of clients were positively affected. Um, And, yeah, that was my first business. So uh, I had three company-owned studios, which and the model was about a 200-square-metre studio, So I own one in Albert Park, Elwood, and also Yarraville. And, uh, yeah, about six to eight trainers uh, within each one. So I had three, and the rest were franchised. So, yeah, man, that was my whole – when the Australian Institute of Fitness started in Victoria, I was their senior presenter um, in in the personal training courses on on the board of – uh, Fitness Australia wrote, helped write the code of ethics for personal trainers in uh, in Australia and and in particular Victoria. So that was sort of early pioneering days, you know, pre internet, uh, pre Facebook and Insta Instagram and all the rest of it. So uh, the transition came though was when I let some, you know. Their employee, you know, one was an employee, and um, and he he thought, oh, I could I can do what Trove does, and um, it was quite cancerous. He hooked up with a lawyer, and they together, you know, really made waves, negative waves through my through my business, <clears throat> and became a bit of a situation where the tail was wagging the dog. There's a few legal blues. They really wanted to just, you know, kind of do it for themselves and get out of their agreement and um, mimic what I've done. So. Um, it just did my head in. I, uh, a few other things probably the partying didn't help either. I slipped into a, 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 bad, a depression. I love personal training, I love helping people, and but the business model just wasn't for me anymore. And, um, yeah, but instead of going on heavy antidepressants, man, I, um, which is what the doctor prescribed me, I went, No, I don't want to sleepwalk through my life, I'm going to deal with what I'm dealing with. So I went to every course that you could. I, you know but i had to force myself out of my you know get to the stage where you don't want to pick up the phone or don't want to answer an email and you know you're behind on you know money's tight and relationships are strained and i was married as well so there was all kinds of strains and bits and pieces going on and yeah man i went to these seminars i walked on fire with big tony robbins did ayahuasca went to burning man the whole bit and Trying to find myself, some would argue, still haven't found yourself. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> so, but I did work out. I got to the cause rather than dealt with the effects. And I um, was in, this, in one of these seminars you know, about two years later and a friend of mine said, Trap, why don't you, you're in these seminars all the time. Every weekend you're in something new. Why don't you teach this stuff? And it was a real light bulb moment. I went, huh, and it helped me compartmentalise what I was going through. I'm here to teach this stuff, to pay this stuff forward, to add my own flavour. So about a month later I put on a talk. I was so scared. And I packaged in all – because I've never had a job, you know. I, I had a beach lifeguarding job. I worked – you know, that was about it. And kids swimming teaching a little bit during during uni for basically beer money. <laughs> and – uh so I've always been an entrepreneur, um, Learned all this psychology stuff and I put on a talk. Nearly had to, it was at the Western Bulldogs Rooms over there in uh, Footscray where I lived in Seddon and, um, yeah, I, I started sharing all my stuff. I had 40 people in the room and started sharing the fact that I had a list to do before you die actually written down since I was 18. Not, no one knew this about me. I said, who else has got one of these lists to do before you die? Um, And it was donuts, no one. And it just bewildered because I'd had one of these lists and it had always been my North Star, my compass, my reason for getting out of bed in the morning, you know, especially during tough times. I thought everyone had one of these kind of lists actually written down. I said to the group, you know, why do you get out of bed in the morning? And most of the people, you know, why do you want to earn more money? What do you want to earn more time? the common response that I still get today is pay off the house, put the kids through school, do a bit of trouble when I'm older. Yeah, and possibly sicker.
0: Look,
1: is that it? So it inspired the group, told them some stories, and Joe, one of the participants, said, how's all this list to do before you die stuff? It's like a bucket list. This is about 13 years ago. you're, you're like the bucket list guy. I went, ping, another light bulb moment. Went home that night and registered the thebucketlistguy.com. And I've been doing that ever since. Man. So I've been basically reverse engineering that and came out of the blocks as a as a speaker, you know, really, you know, coaching one to many by the stage and uh defranchised the whole business, sold off my personal training studios. That took, you know, two, three years in itself. Um but the personal training was the first twenty years of my life. I say the first twenty years was PT. And the next 20, PD, as in personal development. Mm. And around that time, the whole, as you might remember too, Tyson, you know, the whole world was kind of going online. Tim Ferriss had just come out with his four-hour workweek book, which completely ruined my life. Here I was with these gyms and (laughs) bricks and mortar businesses and fucking corporate, you know, commercial (laughs) leases just weighing me down and Tim Ferriss running everything from fucking a hammock in Thailand. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm like I like I, I like that business model better than this. So <laughs> screw this guy. So I just, you know, I've I've had lunch with Tim Ferriss since, and when he came to Australia, and uh, he was one of the people I wanted to meet and thank on my bucket list as well. And um, so I've been online ever since.
0: Before it was COVID cool. <laughs> what a, I, uh, I, I knew there was a reason I got you to give the introduction. It's so wild to hear. Just about how events, like hindsight's a funny thing, isn't it? Looking how right, one particular thing <laughs> linked into a something like you're in now, now ironically, like the the PT. Will, this is an,
1: therapy, by the way. This is therapy.
0: You know, wait, right back at you, man. <laughs> my, mine's about to start. My, some of my good mates, uh, uh, Shane, one of my very good mates, is a PT now owns a studio uh, called Fit My Soul, and and one thing that he often tells me is that PT, a lot of people assume that it's got to do just with the physical developments that people make. He goes, mate, 90% of my job is dealing with the mental bullshit that people bring to the door that's either stopping them from getting into some form of habit building when it comes to the physical world, some kind of um, depression or just a block that's stopping them from actually making progress in like what is arguably the most important element of your life, at least the foundation, Mm. like your physical health, mental health and fitness. So it's interesting to see that like the transition on paper looks as though you've changed lifestyle drastically. Like in terms of working hours, uh, I I assume it has. But in terms of what you're actually doing, it's not too far separated.
1: No, I was always in personal training too. I was always fascinated with psychology, you know, like and motivation and growing up as a competitive swimmer and um, surf lifesaver. Uh, always fascinated with psychology. I had some great coaches and went to national level on on different things. And um, yeah, I was always fascinated with the psychology side of things. And, um, and you know, I, I, I had many a personal training session where I'd lay out, you know, for instance, my first client, Heather, for instance, literally w- when I was 21, 2021, 20, um, she was a 50 year old lady, fit well, off, above 50 year old lady. She had a neck injury, a back injury, knees uh had arthritis in them to the point where they were getting drained every 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 quarter. They're really bad. And I'd just done rehab at uni, so I thought, all right, guinea pig, here we go. Um so she trained with me three times a week at twenty five bucks an hour. And um uh some days, mate, some days her self esteem was absolutely in the toilet you yeah, know, when we first started. Some days she'd come in um, with bruises on her and I'm 21, didn't grow up in any kind of abusive household or anything like that. I'm adopted but my parents were great. Um, I could see that she'd had a rough night. I'd have this whole CrossFit circuit kind of all laid out. And I'm like, well, Heather, today what we're going to do, we're going to have a coffee. We're going to have a chat. That's And they that were the best personal training sessions that she's ever paid for. So right then I knew that this is not about the physical, it's about the psychological, and that I love life coaching. You know, there's there's coaching and there's life coaching, I guess, even though, you know, people go, oh, my God, you're a life coach, you know. It gets met with scepticism, but essentially that's what we're all kind of doing and all personal trainers, you know, there's a lot of personal trainer who, who um, you know, like I did, definitely transition to helping people with the broader, you know, the broader psychology, the, the broader aspects of life and, you know, especially at the end of the personal training. So I had a lot of personal trainers, you know, working with or uh, well, under my brand and they helped all the clients and I was already kind of doing a lot of of life coaching, if you will, sort of at the end of it, I had a lot of my clients coming to me about relationship, wealth, their businesses, and everything else. I was with their family, being parents, you know. So when you're a coach, um, you know, people listening, watching this will know if they're a, if they're a coach inherently. If they're a coach, if people are coming to you, going, can I just catch up with you and grab a coffee? You know, like. Um, and you're that type of person that people, you know, confess to, reside, you know, like like having a chat to bounce things off, um, then you're probably a coach, you know, mm-hmm. and you can't help it. It's just you. And yeah. you probably get that too, Tyson, you know, like you 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 just, that's your natural inclination. So, you know, to take that from amateur to pro and start charging for your time is a whole other ball game, which is what I love, helping other, you know, coaches do but yeah man I I always I always was a coach I've always been a coach and it's only now that I'm really recognizing all of those runs on the board previous in the previous life as a personal trainer that led me to what I'm doing now
0: yeah what I like about the umbrella term of the bucket list as well is whenever someone hears bucket list and they actually boil it down a little bit naturally one of the first things you're going to think about is okay what what am I actually really keen to do as opposed to what my daily structure is taken up by and i would i would estimate i would guess that at least 90 percent of the people um just going about their daily lives uh you know for one reason or the other has so many elements of their life that they feel stuck in mm. that and especially mm. as you get older i've got two boys now and the whole day revolves around play it's not around structure it's not, they couldn't give a shit what time lunch is, what time uh, sleep is. All they want to do is go, all right, how can we play? And it's an mm. absolute pain in the ass sometimes. It does my head in, but I love it because it makes me mm. realize how stagnant so many areas of my life have become. Even just the wonder that they take with the way they look at a rock or a duck or a, <laughs> and it yeah, could be the anything. Prison. They go, they go no. dad, what is, what is this? And I go, well, honestly, like I've got to stop and think because I haven't thought about it for 25 years. But Mm. what I like about the Mm. idea of a bucket list is it comes back to this idea of play in a big sense. So that's the way I see it. It goes, okay, like, so this is what you're doing with your time but eventually you're going to die. With that limited time that you've actually got, what would you really like to do and how can you structure your life in a way that you can make that possible? Yeah,
1: well, look, I say a bucket list is a tangible life plan where our career plan or our business plan should fit into our life plan and not be the other way around, you know. It really brings home that work to live principle um, and it helps people reprioritize, you know, because most people, you yeah, know, bucket list like the movie has got a negative connotation because it's about two blokes that get given a cancer diagnosis mm. and then they write a bucket list. It's like, sorry, fellas, too late. So it's a shit movie. i will based my whole career on it. <laughs> so, um, so I want to wake people up before they get given a use-by day. Yeah, you because know, there's so many people waiting till some day, and that ain't the day of the week, the perfect time, and there is no perfect time, or they're waiting till retirement. You know, and, and and we're sold retirement, exiting the business, getting the investments up to a point where you don't have to work anymore. We're sold this delayed gratification. We're in a delayed gratification society. I'll be happy when syndrome. Mm. But meanwhile. People are, sacri- you know, people are sacrificing their happiness now to enjoy later. No wonder, no wonder depression, anxiety, suicides, youth suicides, the over-prescription of antidepressants, and we've even got this thing now called the loneliness epidemic. It's a real thing. And then we go through the pandemic on in there, and we've got an absolute mental health perfect storm. of people are what they call disengaged in Australia in Australian workforces. It's 90% over in in America. So people are just existing, not living. They're living by this weird default, I'll be happy when syndrome, Mm. uh, waiting to retirement. And, you know, but what's wrong with being happy now? Because something's broken because these stats aren't going away. The loneliness, loneliness epidemic is creeping up. You know, depression is on the rise. There's more and more suicides happening. It's like something's broken. So I'm doing my best with my bucket list narrative and I guess this filter and the tools and stuff like that as much as I possibly can get this message out as much as as I possibly can because everything that I talk about is what they call positive psychology, which is really what helped me is the psychology of happiness, right? And, And versus regressive psychology or normal psychology where... A psychologist, you go to you, you go and have therapy or get drugs to be normal again. But you know Tyson, in your community, who the fuck wants to be normal, right? <laughs> no one wants to be normal. <laughs> no. We want to perform. Mm. So, what positive psych is all about is helping people identify what brings them meaning, purpose, fulfillment, more gratitude, and basically bleeding more of that into their life and into their into their businesses or into their careers. So they'll be happier. Simple, right? Um, we don't have to sacrifice our happiness to enjoy later. I'm into delayed gratification, don't get me wrong. But I'm also into instant gratification, not in a hedonistic kind of way, but into helping people be happier now because people largely aren't happier, aren't happy now. So... This bucket list. All I've done is taking these positive psychology principles, you know, helping people find more meaning, purpose, fulfillment, and more gratitude in their life. Put this brand of bucket list over the top of it to make it more palatable, more user friendly, more fun, and uh, it seems to have resonated. You know, I'm in the, I'm still, I'm a serial entrepreneur and still doing the same thing and after 12 years is a like a miracle in itself. I mean, you know, because I've got the squirrel, you know, squirrel syndrome going on.
0: For sure. You need my wife to pop over once a day and just go, mate, keep your focus. Keep your focus. That's what I, that's mm. what I use it for. I reckon that's the most <laughs> common part of advice in our house because I think we share that same spirit of, hey, what's the next idea? Mate, one yeah. thing I'm interested to pick your brain about um, uh, that you mentioned a couple of times now is when you were going through your phase of depression or your phase of feeling really low and you were recommended antidepressants. A lot of the time... This is one thing that frustrates me a lot about so many GPs, so many psychologists. I've had the same experience a number of times in my life where, for whatever reason, I've been in a flat patch, call it depression, um, that's lasted longer than I would have liked it to. And and just to go get a little bit of extra assistance or have someone outside of the family that I could talk to and get some strategies, i would go and do it. So I spoke to a guy 15 years ago um, that, unbelievable, taught me about cognitive behavior therapy. And for me, it was an immediate change. And then for whatever reason, uh, about four or five years ago, I, I, I went through another phase. Well, I can tell you the reason: I lost a couple of close friends, and at the time, I think I was underestimating the, the impact that it had had on, like, my emotional health. And so, I went through a phase of grief or depression, or mm-hmm. maybe a combination of the two, that seemed yeah. to feed on each other. And I knew at the time that what I was looking for was I, I didn't need antidepressants. It wasn't it wasn't anything too out of whack. It was a phase that I had to navigate and it was uncomfortable, but I just wanted some support and guidance through it. Yeah. I went back and saw this guy, and he goes, well, mate, look, based on the fact that 15 years ago you, you had some issues as well, it looks as though it could just be like a bit of a genetic thing. We need to get you on some antidepressants. And I, I got angry at him in the office. I was like, mate, like it's, it's unbelievable that that can be your go-to. I said, because for the last 15 years I've been the happiest bloke that anyone knows. I, I've loved my life. There's been no, mm. no uh, you know, huge stress emotionally. It seems to be a phase. And I had that same recognition probably because I'd I'd sort of taken that route a couple of times and had been that zombie in the past um, by taking like, I think it was an SSRI when I was about 18 or 17. And looking back now, I just wasn't equipped with helpful strategies. And now whenever I face those kind of strategies, it might be difficult, but CBT for me, like I've got a little formula written up like a gym program to make sure that I'm on top of on a regular basis which seems to be the key for me. Like I'm not I'm not assuming that everyone's, you know, going to have the same approach. But mm. I was just curious to find how, how you were aware of the fact that that was an overused uh, tool to try and help get people through that phase.
1: Oh, look, I just knew too many clients on it. Mm. And remember, you know, this is back in the personal training days. So I'd trained so many clients with depression. Um, and... I just knew that they weren't themselves, and I knew the different person when they came off came off those drugs. So I didn't I, I didn't have a real good opinion of them going in, yeah. and so and I knew the highs and lows, and also you know the ramifications about um, you know, how it affects a lot of a lot of different areas. And it's great, don't get me wrong, great, great for a lot of people, just not for me. And, and and when I look back on what I went through, it was mild compared to what I've heard since you know, it really was. So here I am whinging about my depression, but really it was mild compared to, you know, did I want to kill myself? No. Did I think about it? Yeah, once, but mate, I went to Beyond Blue. I talked to some people there and they get you to tick the, I remember going and they give you this, uh, uh, flyer, you know, I picked it up from someone and, uh, you go through this checklist, and I'm like, check, check, check. You know, basically, if you check them all, you've got, you've got clinical depression. And the last thing on that checklist, whether they have still got it today or not, I don't know, was have you smiled in the last, have you smiled in the last week, or something like that. And I'm like, fuck, I smiled yesterday, Jesus. <laughs> you know, because I want to win. I want to win. You know, I want to get everything. <laughs> I want to get everything right, and I'm um, <laughs> like, "Fuck, damn it! I I I smiled yesterday. I shouldn't have had that laugh. Damn it! You know, like so. <laughs> I was gonna lie, <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't tell that story much. But you know, that's the honest truth. You know, oh. so I I wasn't I wasn't that bad. But I, I've Man, I've done so many, you know. I talk about it from stage, you know, and why I do speaking is so it can affect more lives in a smaller amount of time. And it's coaching one to many, right? And so I talk about depression very, very openly. And I know that I know it can trigger, uh, I know it can bring to light some of the stuff that people are going through. And I talk about cancer as well. So. It 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 can ruffle some feathers, um, but I've had some full on situations with some alpha males in the room. I, I've dealt I, I deal regularly with vets who have come back, you know, over in America. I, I I'm part of the uh, Heal the Heroes program, so we're dealing with serious PTSD. So and and my stuff has helped them. I'm like I didn't know it could, but it yeah. it is. So I helped the Heal the Heroes program over in the States. So, you know, got there's got there's guys, you know, when I'm doing those presentations, there's guys with one arms and one leg and you know, the whole bit and it resonates. So I'm I'm it's found its audience. So yeah, it it um it's definitely a tool that's helped me, it's helped other people. I've had some alpha males just come up to me right at the end and you know, have gone there's one one instance there when uh the head of uh yeah the head of this big organization he was um the boss that basically got you know got me in and at the end of it you know i can see from you know i can see where it's where it's you know sinking in he cornered me at the end of it and and just had you know had one of my books in his hand and and he's going, oh look, Trev, can you can you sign this, but also pretend to sign it for a lot longer Cause, uh, And he cornered me in the room. So I was facing the room, and he just broke down in tears. He goes, I, I just I can't cry in front of them. All right, I just just stay here for a minute, just let, pretend we're talking, and and just tell me if anyone's coming up behind me because you know I, I just he couldn't he couldn't hold it in. I said, oh, I got you, bro. No worries. Just just uh oh, yeah yeah. He just started talking. He wiped away his tears and uh, said, "Thanks, man." We hugged it out. And, you know, I'd like to say that that's the 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 only instance of that I've had, but I've had many. I've had people on suicide watch. Um, I've had you know all sorts of you know people. I I had a guy um, at a business breakfast for CFOs at the uh, at Park Hyatt in Melbourne. And a guy halfway through, he literally grabbed a the microphone, they had a roving microphone, and he just stood up. Everyone was in suits except for me. There's 250 people in the room. He said, um, this is shit and you are full of shit. Oh, thank you, sir, <laughs> in front of everyone. I'm like, oh, we've got a heckler. Um, so, yeah, you, you develop a thick skin when you're a speaker. and. I've gone over to him. I remember a teacher tell you know telling me one: if you get a heckler, if you get someone that's disruptive, you know, go, don't go face to face with them. You know, you go side by side. I could see the little you know tear in his eye, you know, little wet eye, and uh, I put one hand on his shoulder. and I said, you know what? I think you're right. And I just, <laughs> I, you know, who would agree? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah easy. Um, and I said, obviously, I've said something today that that. Uh, has caused you to say that, um, if it's okay with you, can I play on, you know, for the rest of the room and, and can we have a chat afterwards? And, yeah, I I had a chat with him afterwards and his wife was going through chemo. Um, he'd had no sleep the night before and we hugged it out and he said sorry the whole bit and he told a bunch of other people it was all cool. But, yeah, man, look, it's – um. It, the reason I've, I'm still, you know, on this topic, driving driving this car down this lane is because it resonates with a lot of people and uh, like it did for me in the early days.
0: Yeah, man. That's so – that's heckling at a, at a new level as well. There's no – it's such a skill, isn't it? Like, I've had a lot of hecklers.
1: I've, I've, I've had a few hecklers, Yeah too over the
0: time. It's, well, I take funny. back what I said then because I was laughing with you the other day because you said that yeah, you did stand-up comedy. I don't know if it was earlier oh. this year, last year. That was and last was, year. Yeah, and one of the things that stood out to me was I, I just assumed that the corporate world would sit there and be polite. And I, I come from a church background, and I was a pastor mm. speaking to a congregation. And, mate, if there's one place you're not supposed to heckle, it's at church. And so people can sit there thinking this is a shit message. and. Uh, but they're not going to yell anything at you. Whereas at comedy, or so I oh, assumed, it, at a corporate It's a license. World. License to have a cracker Yeah, <laughs> That's why people are out there. Yeah. Um, so you've uh, you've probably come a little bit more prepared. Yeah, tell us a little more about that experience. You're saying you're at School of Hard Knocks here in Melbourne. That was, that was one. Of, I mean, mate, you could, I, you could do a two-day who, pod, podcast mate, like on you, your you know, bucket like list.
1: A, hats, off, hats off to you. you know, like a, anyone that can do stand-up comedy, I think that's possibly the hardest thing you can do in this life. You know, uh, people pay you know, people pay money to laugh at your jokes. It's just next level. You know, you know keynote speaking is hell of a lot easier. Um, except Pays for all a hell of a lot more. A <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, like uh, so I had because my bucket list is because I go through this my bucket list blueprint. You might be able to see it on the back here. Um, so I did a TED talk. I did a TED talk um so yeah in there it's an acronym my bucket list and it's an acronym for help to help people go north south east west in their own head and help them extract and articulate a personally meaningful and holistic bucket list so c on that acronym is a fear so one of the things that i had on my bucket list uh, was do a standout comedy gig I put it off I put it I had it on there for eight years before I on my official bucket list uh, before I did anything about it so it wasn't until after the pandemic I went you know what i have got to get out of this funk i have got to I'm gonna blow the doors off and uh so my mate um you know who we both know Morrie he, he runs a school of hard knock knocks um here in Melbourne and a, and a fellow speaker had just done his course and He's like, Oh, why aren't you doing it, Mr. Bucketless Guy? I'm like, eh, I'm getting around to it, I'm getting around to it. You know, take it easy. And so, you know, I had nowhere to hide and and uh and I I just committed and, and Maury um I had Murray on my podcast and uh, I was talking about it, why people do it, because you know, so it's a lot of you know a lot of bucket list items for a lot of people, it's overcoming fear. And so I um signed up and School of Hard Knock Knocks works like this you and maybe we have 11 other students uh instructed by a a stand-up comedian professional stand-up comedian or two sunday monday tuesday wednesday night you meet for three hours you're writing jokes you're performing the jokes in front of each other not getting any laughs so i I had all these jokes prepared over all these years and i got up on night one going crush this and plus on my speaker (laughs) and i get up and uh tell my jokes no one fucking laughed, <laughs> and uh, I just realised I'm just a sick fuck, and <laughs> and I don't know if I can swear on this, but I have um, Go the for it. Uh, and I went, oh my god, I'm I'm screwed. And so I started telling some like it is just running on the spot, and you know, like I started telling him some stories from per- <laughs> and uh, and our coach there was just like, mate. Finish the stories, you know, like get to the funny. I'm like, this is all I got. And then I just <laughs> I'm screwed. So, you know, apparently we learned all the different comedians and different styles and you know, all the uh, and and the fact that you've you know, stand up comedy, you've got to make someone laugh every fifteen seconds, so four times a minute. Holy shit. You've got to keep people engaged big time. So we uh, had to prepare a five-minute spot during this you know, the, the comedy school there because on the Thursday night we all flogged tickets to our family friends and all twelve of us had to fill the rooms. So we had a hundred and twenty, a hundred and twenty people at the Rubber Chicken down there in South Melbourne. It was a full house, and we all did our five-minute bit, and then the headliners did their bit at the end, and that's all been recorded. It's on my YouTube channel. I was shitting myself, shitting myself. I'm so glad. I, my, my family came along. Half the jokes were about them. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, I did it.
0: What a world. But yeah. it was
1: really good. Like it, it, it's, it's changed my storytelling. It's changed my getting to the point. Um, I use some of it in my keynotes now. Um, so it's all, you know, a really good experience. Um, and the running joke is, you know, Netflix still hasn't called Tyson, so I don't know. They must have lost my number or something <laughs> yeah, like that. Where's my four part? Where's my four part series? I, I don't. <laughs> Why <what? laughs> <I> haven't they? <I?
0: laughs> yeah, it's a wild experience. My uh, my entry into the field of stand up comedy about five years ago was the same. Like I had always thought it was just something I would never do. And then based yeah. on the fact why'd that you it do terrified, it? why'd you do it? I listened to Why'd Joe Rogan speak a lot. Yeah, I listened to P- Rogan's podcast a lot. And he used to speak a lot about his background in martial arts. And so I was terrified of the idea of getting up there and just not being as funny as I thought I was. I'd never thought about it like a skill that you can actually develop. I just thought you oh, had it all in. And so I would hear about him speak on his background in martial arts and his discipline and his approach and his consistency. And I thought, oh, it sounds a lot like distance running. Like Mm. I've got, I've got these factors that you're speaking about in martial arts for my running, but I've never really considered about applying any of this to any other field really, like with the exception of a few, especially stand up comedy. And so I just started writing down a couple of things that I thought were funny and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to do it. And I just rocked up in an open mic comedy room one night. And it's it's so true, man. Like one of the, one of the weirdest things about it, I don't know how, how this is in the corporate scene, but. One of the weirdest things is you can tell the same joke to two different crowds and one of them pisses themselves laughing and the other one gives you like your bomb. And oh. so it's a constantly moving target of what's funny. And there's so many factors come into it, like your energy, yeah. your presentation, your confidence, the vibe you're giving up, the vibe of the room, um, obviously the quality of the joke. There's just so many yeah. things. So when you come home and you try and analyze, okay, hey, how did I go? It's a really difficult thing because you're trying to analyze 25 different things
1: yeah i have got a great story around that and um i uh like i've said you know, i've given talks all around the world keynotes all around the world some you know big and small groups um and i was invited to speak down in mexico and there was again three three fifty four hundred people in the room um and we and it was being interpreted you know it was like i had interpreters at the back everyone had a, a headset on so I've done that in Cambodia. I've done that in uh, Vietnam uh, and, and also down in uh, Mexico, Costa Rica, and a few other places. But in Mexico, this this one where we had two interpreters at the back of the room, right, everyone listening to headsets. So I'm pretty Aussie. I don't know if you picked that up. And I had a brief uh, with the interpreters, and they spoke really good English. So basically I'm saying my thing and I've got my keynote pretty dialed in and I know when the jokes are going to be, I know when the big aha moments are, you know, write this down and, you know, examples set exactly. And so I sort of briefed them all on, uh, briefly, the uh, interpreters, the two people in the box at the back of the room, um, that this is the state of play. And they went, yeah, yeah, no worries. And I did my thing and there was just like some awkwardness because you just got to slow yourself down and, like, say a bit and then five seconds later you're still in this pose going. <laughs> and then they go, ha, 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 and you're like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> Fuck, next thing. And then so, so I did this one where I always get a lot, no matter where I go around the world, and there was this massive delay. And I went to the interpreters afterwards and I said, how about that, you know, that thing when I said that? And they go, oh, we we knew, we knew it was a joke. We couldn't really interpret it. So we just told everyone on their heads, you know, in their headsets, Trav just made a joke, please laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and then they laughed. And the a fucking charity laugh. And, and I'm like, oh, Jesus, that makes me feel bad.
0: <laughs> that's that's does so not, brutal. did
1: not. Try. That was brutal. Oh, oh, oh well, That's uh, so a, funny. A for effort, you know. doesn't make me feel any better.
0: Mate, we've only got a few minutes left before you go. You've just kick started your, uh, your new bodybuilding process. You're going home to take some photos of your. Uh, yeah, see, I told your- you
1: that in confidence. Um, but, uh- <laughs>
0: <laughs> Was it? So that's not public knowledge to shit? No, not yet. No, no. I was just but, joking uh, anyway. I was just a funny joke. Yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah. No. I've just turned. No, I don't give – um, so again, this I've had this on my bucket list for a while, and uh, I've just turned 50. And uh, I don't know, I kind of did it when I turned 40, but in this 50, I uh, I you know, this fuck you 50 moment, you know, like, and hey, some would call it a midlife crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm calling it midlife awakening. <laughs> um, but no, because I've done you know, this this whole bucket list thing is about the is about my and everyone else's human experience. And I think if you can experience as much, you push the envelope in every aspect of life, I think that's what life's all about, right? Who the fuck wants to sleepwalk through their life and just not test themselves, not see where their potential lies? And I, I want everyone listening and watching this, Tyson, to get curiously excited about the person that exists on the other side of your bucket list, and that's the person that you don't know yet. Get curiously excited about the person because people are dying at 40 and being buried at 80. Mm-hmm. So get curiously excited about what's on the other side. You've got no idea, no idea of what your potential is. So for me, I've done the Ironman. You know, I signed up to do the full-on Melbourne Ironman, full-distance Ironman, 3.2K swim, 180K bike ride and a marathon, apparently all in one day. So uh, I did, I entered that having never done a triathlon before. I literally entered a year out, then bought a bike. Having done one marathon, grew up as a swimmer, so that was cool. And uh, overtrained, completely destroyed myself, then got a coach. Wow. Who would have thought that a coach <laughs> would have? And he just said, What the fuck have you been doing? You've overtrained, you've destroyed yourself, and cut my. Volume down by half, who would have thought mm. um, so that was one extreme the the endurance extreme, and i've always gone you know what what's the opposite to that you know that's it's a something that I can at least train for um and i've always lifted weights and you know it's just part of what I do because you know because it's healthy um, and doing this sort of stuff is great is a pastime, but I wanted to direct it i, I when I turned fifty, I stopped drinking. Um, not that I was an alcoholic or anything like that. I was just like, oh, I don't really have a plate. My partner doesn't drink and you know it's not a big thing. So, um, and just wanting to look after myself. The goal is to also be a cent you know, become a centenarian as well. So I want to live beyond a hundred. Um, I've got a tattoo on my chest from ninety 19- it says, uh I mean, you might be able to see. Nineteen. 19- Here we go. I just did this the other day, last week, 1973
0: to 2073 plus. Yes. I thought that was an asterisk. No,
1: plus. That's awesome. So if I look at that psychologically, if I could look at that in the mirror every day, it reminds me to uh, keep healthy, that sort of thing. So long story short, um, I've always wondered about – You know, not bodybuilding, but physique comp. I'm not big enough to be a bodybuilder, Um, but a physique comp and just beyond, you know, in the beyond 50 category. Um, So I found myself last weekend going to a bodybuilding comp or the one that I'd enter in a year's time, size up the competition, film their poses, super weird, Um, very brown, uh, (laughs) a lot of oil, a lot of oil, a lot of G strings, um, <laughs> yes. gold gold G strings on men, which I, I was very confronted by. But um, each to their own. So next next minute next minute I've 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 gone fuck it. You know I'm going to do it. Um, give it a crack. Give me something to train for. Direct all this healthiness and on you thing too. And off we go. So uh, I've got a I've got a, a prep coach and a posing coach now. Um, so. That's yeah, awesome. I'm going to put Brushy it on the YouTube channel man. and cross it off my bucket list, hopefully,
0: in a oh, year's time. I'll make sure I uh, I'll link that in your book and um, all your socials and stuff in the uh, in the description to this episode, so anyone interested, the, the, make well, sure you, you check it uh, out. You want, like, the pictures of me in the in the leopard G? A hundred percent. Honestly, and a before and after would be fantastic if you don't no, mind. We don't know <laughs> this. I sent
1: my befores, which is like me now, to this coach, and... I grew up in Speedos, you know, and I looked at me and Bucks back, back in the day. I, I look like I've eaten three of me <laughs> right now. I've eaten a fucking sheep. Um, So, I, yeah, it's, it's
0: not pretty. Watch this space, man. 12 months' time, I bet it is. But, bro, mate, thanks so much for making the time. I appreciate catching up with you on here. And uh, yeah, I'll see you at Rocketman the next few days.
1: Yeah, I'm going there. I'm going to talk to my podcast guy, and I'll probably be there very, very soon. <laughs> All,
0: All right, good, brother. brother. Take care, man. We'll see you later.